Hello and welcome to another episode of The Partial Historians. I am one of your excellent hosts, Dr. Greenfield. And I dare to say that the radness is even more excellent now. Really? <laughs> more excellent. No, no. Wow. <laughs> I like to think we share power. <laughs> Unlike a certain... I was going to say, I thought that last week gave me ideas <laughs> and I don't want to share this power anymore. Yeah, you don't know. No. no. Oh. This, this partial historians can only be partial. It's going to be even more <laughs> partial. <laughs> Your own yeah. partiality. Exactly. <laughs> Dear listeners, mm. if you've been following the Romulus and Remus caper <laughs> of the last episode, all of this begins to make much more sense. Yes. All right, I, Are you positioning maybe, yourself as a Romulus figure? Maybe I can move on because our next king of Rome is a little bit more peaceful. Yes, yes, yes. Numa Pompilius. Okay, yeah, so maybe I'll, I'll, I'll just channel him for a little while while we talk about him. Yeah, and maybe yeah, we'll see at the end of the episode if I feel differently. Uh, ooh. If not, <laughs> this book. <laughs> I have many books in front of me. Yeah. So much source material. Indeed. So we're dealing, as we mentioned last time, hmm. with still these sort of semi-mythical times of Rome. <laughs> Oh, look, we're, we're still deep yeah. in, in mythic times. We're going to be there for a while. Yeah. Um, be prepared. Yeah. So after Romulus, you know, sets himself up a bit and, you know, gets some women folk in Rome and whatnot, he rules for a, apparently quite a significant chunk of time. Well, everybody uh, everybody likes the number 37. Mm, very precise. Yes. <laughs> very precise. <laughs> um, the city is founded in 753. Mm. If you take away 37 that gives you another number yeah. <laughs> uh, i'm not a math that's the number we're talking about that's today. the number yeah. where we're at guys um, to conclude i think and to present a nice introduction to numa yes uh, the death of romulus is some important. of you might be cheering for this yeah well romulus might not have been the most likable person given his yeah he, he may not have set himself up to be liked he was no. firm uh did what he wanted and yeah. achieved what he set out to do and perhaps he did what he wanted a little too much towards the end you think so maybe yes mm. i've heard rumors in some sources that uh romulus was cut up into little pieces wow <laughs> and smuggled out of a meeting <laughs> well and that's how he seemed to one day just vanish <laughs> that would be a highly cynical and negative reading all right all right so what's what's your <laughs> reading then <laughs> so yeah so there's a gathering uh-huh this might be a slightly more mythic reading okay there is a gathering. Uh-huh. He's talking in front of his soldiers. Right. You know, planning the next offensive. Uh-huh. A bolt of lightning. What? Out of nowhere. Get out. <laughs> Strikes Romulus. We think. Yeah. And Everybody's blinded for a moment. And Everybody comes to... Uh, the sky's clear. Everybody's vision clears. Romulus. Gone. Amazing. Just I can't believe I like didn't think that. of that version before. <laughs> it is the most logical conclusion to his life. Yeah. Um, somebody appears to suddenly <laughs> Conveniently, <laughs> one of the Roman citizens later swears that he saw Romulus ascend to heaven. Oh, good. So he can be sure where he went. Good. Yep. I feel relieved to know that he was not murdered. The lightning came down out of the for sky. being a little bit severe upon his <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, the alternative political stabbing, yeah. um, cutting up, hiding the body thing, yeah. that, that would also work. Very serial killer. Yeah. Although I think it would take a little bit more time 
Yeah. To do the, the choppy choppy. Yeah. And then to do the lightning bolt from the yeah. sky. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's um, true. I think more people would have known. I don't... In any case. Yeah. In any case. Romulus is gone and he gets deified, essentially. Yeah. And... Apparently, he becomes Quirinus. Yes, Quirinus. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Because that is a god. Like, the Romans, as we mentioned before, I think, more or less adopt the Greek gods... Oh, More this is dangerous territory. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I don't think Quirinus has got anything to do with great gods. No, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> but Quirinus is one of those gods that is definitely nothing to do with great gods. Whew. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Whew. Yeah, so he's not one of the Olympic, you no, know, not at all. Jupiter, Zeus type. <laughs> His powers are yeah, a different. little bit. And sus, so, yeah, you know, it makes sense knows. that he's actually you know the deified version of Romulus because Romulus is also. A Roman, <laughs> uniquely Roman man. Indeed. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> the first Roman. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, um, so he's dead. Interestingly, <gasps> yeah, this leaves us in a, in a conundrum because it turns out, despite the acquisition of many Sabine women, Romulus doesn't really have an heir. Again, I feel parallels to Augustus. <laughs> <laughs> feel away, my yeah. friend. Feel away. I so, know, again, we're in a situation where everyone's like, what? Wait, actually, no, I'll be. A little bit more PC. WTF? Ah. <laughs> what are we going to do ah. now? <laughs> this is where things start to get interesting yeah. for the Romans. Because they're like, okay, well, now we've reached this scenario where we don't have our leader anymore. What do we do? Yeah. And they decide on a, a power share system. Yes. Essentially. Like rotation. Yeah, stuff. rotation. Everybody <laughs> yeah. gets to like be in charge for like 12 hours. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Wait, no one can possibly accrue too much power. <laughs> there will be no accruing of power in 12 hours. No. Like, good luck to you. No. Um, Plutarch very handily provides this specific number. Yeah. Although, whether you want to believe that is anybody's guess. <laughs> I have to admit, I feel bad for people who get the night shift. Yeah. <laughs> you, got, you got like two spaces of six hours. Like, go for that and take yeah. a, like a break in the middle. But like after that, your turn is over. Yeah. And they divide this up amongst the patricians, yes. which under Romulus numbered 100 mm. and Plutarch suggests might be 150 at this stage, which Ooh. suggests that maybe there's been an growth. increase, yeah, growth yeah. in the city. Yeah. Um, in any case, we've got what ends up being the called elite. the mm. interregnum period. Yeah. Uh, which might have something to do with being in between in kings. In between kings. Yes. yes. In between rectors. And while they're going through this process, mm. um, the patricians talk to the rest of the citizens. And they're like, you guys should be involved. Like, we need to, like, choose somebody. You yeah, guys... Like, your thoughts, man. Yeah, like, what? what who yeah. Do, you, do you think you know anybody who'd be good for this? Yeah. <laughs> and the citizens just basically get, like, really scared and suspicious yeah. of what might be going on here. They're like... Is that a trick question? <laughs> like, hells no, I'm not getting involved in that decision. Like, yeah. you guys decide. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... Rome has this sort of like quasi like sort of thrust towards possible democracy that yeah. they totally shy away from. Well, they're kind of like, almost like they're trying to be polite, I suppose. We're like, oh. no, you take the last cupcake. No, no, no. no. I insist. Seriously. No, no, no. You go first. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think the rest of the people in Rome are just sort of like, I just don't know, know how to get yeah. involved. And I really think this is quite dangerous. Yeah. Um, so the, move, I would suggest. The interregnum <laughs> continues. Yeah. Um, at a certain point, though, Everybody starts to get concerned about this situation being like not a looking for a king situation, yeah. but 
like an, a, a solidifying oligarchy. Yeah. Where the patricians are kind of like, all right, so we've got this cabal of power now. Yeah. And even <laughs> yeah. though we've only got a 12 hour shift, like, what if I organize my 12 hour shift? Yeah. And, you're tra- you know, and yeah. everybody yes. starts to get worried that this People is. People are in cahoots. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is not really like an equal power sharing situation. This is actually just creating a sort of a, a political nightmare. Surprisingly, people still manage to accrue power. <laughs> You'd be surprised. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So maybe, maybe they should just pick someone and get it over with already. Yeah, yeah. Who who can follow the warrior king, Romulus? Well, you know, I mean, funnily enough, um, perhaps ironically or perhaps not ironically, depending on the sources that you read, um, they eventually settle on Numa, uh, who Hmm. is of Sabine origin. (gasps) What? Power has come full circle. Indeed. Rome is no longer Rome. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's just it. As we talked about in the previous episode, what with the abduction of the Sabine women and the settling down. The Sabines are pretty involved in Roman politics yeah, at this a, point in time. Yeah, a mix of yeah. people in Rome. They've got a lot so. to say. Yeah. <laughs> and unsurprisingly, perhaps, there's still a little bit of tension between the Sabine community and the... Yes. I suppose more or less native Romans. <laughs> yeah. And there's a bit of like factionalism going on because yeah. part of the discussion in this interregnum period is should we select somebody from Rome or should we select somebody from the Sabine region? Yeah. Because of everything that's tensions. Yeah, yeah, because of everything that's We're happened. We're starting there. to feel bad about that whole rape thing. <laughs> well I mean the Sabines the Sabines sort of argue that they've had just as much yes. to do with Rome yeah. and, and the founding and the, the founding of the city yeah. that they're really like partial like huh. <laughs> no, no, I'm not going to say that I yeah. retract that yeah. <laughs> that they're equal players yes. um, yeah. in the city and they want to have a say yes definitely um, and they make it's Numa is a really strategic choice because mm. by all reports he's above reproach yeah I mean god this talk sounds about, unlikely guys but. yeah <laughs> talk about your perfection perfection prince I mean mm. god he even apparently has a relationship of a romantic nature with a goddess. He's that awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> how else do you legitimize your claim to power uh, in this? Chuck a goddess in. Yeah. Say that you go for long walks on the beach. <laughs> Wait, no, not the beach. <laughs> the hills. Yeah. <laughs> we spend some time in groves together. Indeed. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so Numa's about apparently... 40 years old. Yeah, well, according to... Uh, and again, thank you, Flutarch. Yeah. <laughs> um, Numa is born on the same date as the city of Rome is founded. That seems fortuitous. <laughs> Very fortuitous. And so he is 37 when Romulus dies. And yeah. then they spend about two years trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Yeah. Um, and so by the time they get the interregnum thing organized mm. and Numa is like, you know, comfortably into his like early 40s. Yeah. Good, good. That's a sensible age to be a king. Yeah, or consul later on. Yes, <laughs> if you're if you're feeling a yeah, yeah. A, a sense in which the age is a is a symbol, I think you should run with that. Yeah. Okay. So Numa is kind of as we've probably been hinting at polar opposite to Romulus personality wise. Well, well, well. Not only does he have a goddess for a wife. Yeah. Um, Eventually. Not all the time. No, not all the time. He He has to earn it. (laughs) He does have a real world wife in the beginning. He's he's apparently, first of all, married to um, the daughter of the king of the Sabines, the most famous king of the Sabines, uh, Tatius, uh, who spends a lot of time um, trying to knock down Rome um, and being rather (laughs) unsuccessful at that. 
So, again, so fortuitous that we have this mingling <laughs> of peoples yeah. in a peaceful way. <laughs> so, so Numa does have these royal connections to the Sabine yes. royal family. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, his wife, she dies um, prior um, to him becoming... But that frees him up. It does free him up. For goddesses that are yeah, running for a divine <laughs> liaison. Yeah. <laughs> like. Yeah. Yeah, but... Um, and he's also the sort of figure who resists rule as well. Exactly. And as we talked about before with other people when we get into the Prince of it, who else would you want but someone who doesn't want power? Yeah, I yeah. mean, the, the best ruler is the one that doesn't want the power. Exactly, the reluctant leader. Yeah. <laughs> so when Numa is first approached about this sort of stuff, because he's been nominated, yeah. he, he, he's goes like, in, he goes into this huge vacillation period where he's yeah. like, no, 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 Don't I'm, so. I'm not that sort of person. I'm, I'm not just... interested in that type of power. Exactly. Uh, and everyone's Guys, like, sharks, but come on. Yeah. No. He's no. like, oh, no. Stop. Don't do it. Okay. 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 You're <laughs> forcing my hand, yeah. <laughs> but I'll do it. Yeah. And I've got some plans for reform, guys. <gasps> yeah, because Numa, he's not altogether comfortable, I think, with uh, the aggressiveness of the Roman character at this point. In time. He seems to be classified far more as a philosopher king. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so he does focus a lot of his attention on religious matters. He of does. The city. He does. And oh, Dr. G, I'm going to say a word which I say far too often to you because I know how it excites you. Ooh. Vestal. Hello. <laughs> Hello. You're touching me on all the right spots. Yeah. Um, I know how to. Why wouldn't I? So. Yeah. I mean, well. Just before we get into that, okay, because I will, right. I will definitely go Sorry, there. I just couldn't resist. Gonna, I had to jump I will, in. Yeah, I yeah, know. <laughs> I'm jumping with you, believe me. Yeah. Um, so he, when he turns up in Rome after he's decided, yes, I will take the power, he yeah. makes sure that he takes the auguries um, to, to elicit some sort of sense that Romulus is actually on board with this. Um, How sweet. Yeah, that, it's nice. It's well, nice. It's like when you're remarrying someone who's a widow, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just want to make sure that the... The partner who's passed on is all good yeah. in that situation. Because <laughs> he, he wants to follow the, the traditional forms. And obviously Romulus has used augury as a way of establishing his own legitimacy. So yeah. Numa does the same thing as a mirror reflection of yeah. that. And may I just point out as well that Numa has apparently been living in the countryside a lot. Yes. Where all is pure and well, yes. not the city. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, being a, a, a non-urban type, Indeed, he yeah. fits very nicely into this idea of the rustic Roman yeah. who's with the land and all of this sort of jazz. Absolutely, so, yeah. Um, simple yeah. life. Simple, yeah, the simple, simple needs, life. Yeah. And he does what he needs to do, but mm. it's not the life that he wants for himself. Mm. And this is what makes his uh, liaison with Egeria, um, this goddess, yeah. Um, useful for him because it gives him a way of retreating out of the urban space to spend time <laughs> and spending time yeah. with Egeria in the groves. Um, and this is this tends to be where he comes up with his best stuff. Yeah. So what can he I say? He's so wise out of this world. Yeah. He must be getting help from somebody in yeah. that grove. I reckon there's some sort of divine figure in there. Oh yeah. Probably a woman. No mortal man could be this clever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And anyway, so yeah. <clears throat> he Sorry. starts, yeah, he goes on this law giving process and this sort of puts him um, in line with a whole bunch of sort of figures of the ancient world, this idea of the lawgiver. Yeah. Because um, you need to set that shit down. Yeah, you do. <laughs> you do. And although, although Romulus is obviously a founder figure for, yeah. 
for the city. This idea of the lawgiving is yeah. the is the sort of the imparting of a civilized process exactly, into yeah. the structure Prominence of society. This is more about you know setting up the essentials <laughs> and establishing territory. We have a city. Yeah, got a city. You've got women. Got a means to breed. <laughs> and now I die. <laughs> and I leave you. Yeah. yeah. In your time of Hopefully great Hopefully you'll chaos. have some wise sort of a lawgiver, <laughs> goddess, loving king to her. Sorry, yeah. I didn't have enough children for you. Exactly. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so Numa has this sort of has this approach where it's very much focused on establishing the credentials of Rome from sort of a, like a moral perspective in a yeah, way. Like a if, we, if we think of yeah. laws as like this ethical type of process, yes. um, he's interested in distinguishing between times of warfare and times of peace. That's a good so idea. Yeah, the Temple of Janus is one of his big contributions, mm. where you can visually signal yes. with the with the temple itself yeah. and the doors whether Rome is in a state of war or yeah. in a state of peace. Yeah. And Numa is like... And interesting, I suppose that Genesis is the god of doorways. <laughs> he Amongst is, other things. He yeah. is. The two-faced god. Yeah. And in fact, he does also do something else with Janus, with the calendar, does he not? Uh, well, there is a, a whole set of sort of calendar reforms that yeah. Numa introduces. Because apparently there were like some months which were about 11 days and others that were like 35 and the original Roman calendar apparently started with March, the month <laughs> of Mars. Yeah, well, that makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, but to get the Romans again away from this pesky war stuff <laughs> that they've been caught up Let's reorganise that calendar, guys. Exactly, yeah. He, he invents two new months. And yeah. January... So, uh, yeah, 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 you see? Hello, yeah. hello. Janus's month, new beginnings, or you know, <laughs> endings, it's all happening, it's a time of interconnection, you uh, see where it comes from, yeah. Yeah, yeah so yeah. He, he sets things up sort of a little bit more orderly, and also, again, just removes that focus a little bit, shifts it a little bit to the left, <laughs> so that the war is not all that Rome is about, mm. yeah. Apparently. <laughs> no, 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 yeah. it's good. I mean, yeah. yeah, he sets up this sort of, uh, the calendar is based on the cycles of the moon now. Yes. Um, Much more orderly. Yeah. yeah, they do have, obviously that doesn't solve all of their problems well, because no. there's still some intercalculatory days that they have to figure out yeah. further down the track. Yeah. But nevertheless, like he sets up this sort of regular He's lined routine. out some of the kinks. And, yeah. <laughs> and look, there's almost nothing more powerful yeah. than defining the way people mark time. It's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> Fascinating. We're not going to see anything quite as exciting like this with time until we get to Caesar. Indeed. Calendar reform. Calendar is reform big is massive. You'll be hanging out for the next calendar chat. <laughs> no, but seriously. Yeah, like, no, if you yeah, divide yeah, up time and you, and you ask people to conceive yeah. of time in a different way, Absolutely. that changes the order of everything. Yeah, the order of the year, lives. the way they live their lives. Yeah, yeah, the whole process the festival changes. that they celebrate. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, indeed. very interesting. Right. Yeah, and yeah. and to get into some of the minutiae of calendar please reform, do. please <laughs> do. I can't have enough of this calendar chat we're having. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, he also goes through and decides which days are going to be holy days. Yes. Nice. Yeah, yeah, holy days and yeah. Un- and and the not holy days, and yeah. so this means there's a distinguished a distinguishment made yeah. uh, between days which are fast, yeah. days in which it's appropriate to conduct business, and days which are nefas, mm. where no business shall be done. Yeah, because he fear wants, of insulting the gods. Yeah, and he wants all the attention of the Roman populace to be on the festival or the hmm. celebration at hand to absorb all that holiness. Yeah. <laughs> so there's this idea in which, like, religiousosity and the participation in 
the religious practice and process is governed by the calendar as well. Absolutely. So I get where you're coming from. Yeah. So if yeah. we're thinking about calendars as a mechanism of power. Yeah. Oh. Absolutely. I think how many days you would get off work now. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I if didn't. you could live at any time where you were on a lot of holidays. Don't, the don't ancient world is the place to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like he's got all these things in place. Like he's got the calendar. He's got these days for to, to do business and yep. to not do business. And yep. this means that he really needs to create... Uh, a priest structure. Yeah. There needs to be... I was going to say, it's not very well to have holidays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what do you do on holidays? Exactly. Uh, you need a... festivals. <laughs> you need festivals and you need people to do the stuff that needs to be done at exactly. festivals. Exactly. Like conduct the sacrifices. Yeah, and look impressive in their outfits and stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and to make it like even more complicated, yeah. um, he creates a range of positions, essentially. Absolutely. Not just one priesthood no no no, no, no. no. a number so he appoints uh, a flamen so a type of priest Mm -hmm. uh to jupiter yeah and and this is like the the guy that helps him out with all of his kingly priestly stuff yeah and then he has other flamens to other gods as well because obviously that's important gotta cover any bases so you know mars is obviously an important god so he gets a flamen now yeah and one for quirinus hello romulus (laughs) uh gets his own flamen yeah and because yeah, even though Romulus might have been a bit of a bastard towards the end, it's all good to death. <laughs> <laughs> but he does also um, institute a new set of Vestal Virgins. So mm, Yeah, so, because I have to admit, I did have a moment where I got a bit confused because we read all about, you know, Romulus and Remus's mother being a Vestal. Mm. And then you think to yourself, wait a second. Wait a minute. If is setting up the Vestals, how is that possible? <laughs> or did that, my mind just get blown by yeah. chronology? <laughs> no, no, it didn't. So, I mean, the the cult of Vesta is yeah. not Rome specific. Gotcha. Um, what happens is that yeah. Rome becomes very Italy specific yes. and becomes it comes to dominate the region, and so its version of the Vestal cult becomes gotcha. the most prominent. Yeah. Um, but each. As far as we can tell, each of these places in Italy, or at least Alba Longa, has its own set of Vestal Virgins. How intriguing. Yeah, so they're all looking after their own half fire, which represents yeah, the city. Yeah, because he and... gives them the fire, and it's like, yeah. watch it, doesn't yeah. he? <laughs> Here is the fire. Yeah. Don't let it go yeah. out. Because it's in this particular life of Plutarch that we get a lot of the rules about Vestal life, isn't it? He goes into quite a lot of detail about, you know, yeah. what happens if they're not chased tisk tisk yeah. the bearer is alive and all that kind of jazz mm. and what what happens if they're a little bit naughty <laughs> yes yes and so we have this uh, yeah like Numa seems to be a man who's really interested in detail now yeah. now whether you want to uh, yeah. now whether you want to take this as a sense in which the Romans are imputing a lot of exactly. basic yeah. uh, structural components of their culture mm. to one person because that's very convenient to do yeah. so it's much um, easier like all these mythological stories they, they're all probably about things that happened over a very gradual period of time. Yeah. But isn't it nice to wrap it all up in yeah, one Yeah, I mean, isn't <laughs> yeah. it good to say, well, Newman did that. Um, exactly. And, yeah. and conveniently, that's what these narratives do for us. Yeah. So it's taking a whole bunch of things, which obviously are very set in stone by the time the Romans are writing exactly. these sorts of yeah. sources down. And they're imputing a lot of information, which probably takes successive generations to, to develop yeah, um, to one person. Nevertheless, he, he does accordingly, yeah. um, forgetting about the problems with this at the moment, yeah. um, <laughs> sets up um, the Pontifex. Yes. Um, and what is I, like the chief of priests. Well, yeah, and it, this chief of priests, I mean, I, I feel like I need to 
there's a good way to conceptualize the Pontifex in the sense. Please do. Uh, <laughs> well, having gone through and had had a look at Livy again, yeah, and this idea of the Pontifex and what the role of the Pontifex really is, yeah, um, they're supposed to be they're supposed to know basically what the calendar is for yeah. for religious events. Yeah. They're supposed to be on top of like what should take place at each of these different holy days. Like what sacrifices should take place, yeah. when things should happen, who should be doing that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um they kind of keep track and then delegate. Yeah, yeah. Right. And and also things relating to um funeral observations uh, yes. um, talking to the dead in various ways so chthonic aspects of religious activity really? and what this basically amounts to when I was thinking about this yeah. earlier it makes the pontifex he's basically like a huge accountant yeah, <laughs> uh, he's a he's like a religious accountant and sort of like, or even like a religious solicitor, if you like, mm. the sort of person that you go to when you have a question about how things should be done. Yeah, the Pontifex will be like, I will just check the documentation for that, and I will tell you precisely. <laughs> I like, have a response to you. Yeah, in 10 yeah. Days <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, the festival of Parles, you say. Well, yeah. let, I'll get down the tome on Parles, <laughs> and look, it's going to be section thirty-seven point B that you're really interested in. Um, the Pontifex isn't isn't the chief priest at least as much as keeping things in check well yeah Yeah. not the chief priest in the sense of like the the central bureaucrat yeah yeah yeah. but in in the Numa way of thinking about it the Pontifex is like yeah the bureaucrat who looks after yeah everything detail wise I get I get that yeah, yeah I get how that and works. I kind of really like that idea of like oh it's administrative yeah. basically <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah he's a huge <laughs> religious administrator yeah but Numa I mean yeah he, he's genuinely I think quite a religious person so yeah the idea of, it seems fairly clear that he is yeah yes. yeah so the idea of you know wanting to make sure that everything keeps in check I don't think it's just about red tape you know I think he we want to cut through red tape yeah exactly <laughs> yeah we want to keep this well, we only create red tape by making all Numa the is all about the red tape. Yeah. <laughs> we are cutting through that red tape. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so I can understand how it would be important for him to have someone in that position going, right, guys, let's get on to this. You know? <laughs> yeah, and as far as I'm concerned, that, that seems to be like the chief way in which Numa is conceived. Yeah. As this sort of oppositional... Not oppositional to Romulus in in any particular way, but oppositional yeah. in terms of what he represents for the yeah, Romans. Absolutely, uh, a bit of a redemptive figure. Definitely, um, yeah. Because according to you know a lot of our sources, he does bring about a leg- legitimate change in mm. the Romans. They are a little bit calmer. Apparently, all the calm down people. Yeah, apparently being down. forced to watch religious procession after religious procession <laughs> and various <laughs> sacred dances <laughs> calms you down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It has this sort of uh, palliative effect on yeah. one's soul yeah. uh, which is you know ideal I suppose in many respects absolutely yeah so the idea that this actually does work like his mm. ideas they're just crazy enough to work <laughs> <laughs> he has success in these yeah, areas yeah definitely it explains I suppose I don't know how it really explains anything about the Roman character but yeah it definitely has that, that nice nice and up a little bit <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but and and this does mean that uh, Numa is ultimately held up as this sort of uh, figure to be emulated in particular ways. Ooh, yes, yeah. Later on, people, it's, <laughs> you know, it's quite the compliment, isn't it, to be uh, it to be likened to, be your... likened to Numa, the sort of the ideal um, ruler who resists rule, and then when placed in a position to rule, uh, has the the feeling of the people. 
um, as yeah. the as the sort of guiding. It's sort of like the the helpful father who's like, I know you want to go to war, yeah, uh, but uh, let's, let's just think options. about this for a moment yeah. and. And so he garners a lot of respect. Yeah, and he also does a bit of, I mean, another thing that I suppose you know, peaceful type rulers tend to do. Um, the buildings as well. Doesn't he also establish um, not just temples to say, you know, Vesta and Janus, but he also um, builds the, the Regia, the Regia, mm. the royal house, does not he? Yes. <laughs> does, does not, not he. he yes. <laughs> Getting very pompous in yes, my no, Yes, no, yes. Yes, he does not he. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah. I, we've got these sort of architectural... Yeah, uh, expanding in the city. Yes, yeah, Making yes. it all very grand and nice indeed. Yes, um, and so they're his main contributions, I think. Yeah, well, yeah. I have to say, I think I, I feel like I've, I've done, I've said all I have uh, to yeah, say, really, really about him. I mean, he's him. a lovely figure. He dies, nobody, yeah, there's, there's everybody's a bit sad. There's nothing we can go into, unfortunately. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, almost no scandal at all, unless unless sleeping with a goddess. Well, uh, yes, apparently, not everyone scandal. believes that. Some people are sceptical about whether a goddess, what? Like, sure, a goddess would have, like, a platonic relationship with a person, <laughs> but would they have a carnal relationship with a person? I don't know. Plutarch begs to differ. <laughs> Yeah, uh, well. yeah, and, and Plutarch even says that you know after after Numa unfortunately passes away, that the kings who followed him made him look even better because they weren't, <laughs> they weren't all that awesome. Unfortunately, <laughs> oh well, that's, that that, that sets that's us a, up really nicely exactly. for the next episode, yeah. doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, so Numa Numa's star is firmly <laughs> implanted. <laughs> Good, good. Indeed. So I'll see you for a slightly less pleasant king next time. <laughs> oh, I look forward to that much. <laughs> Thank you, listeners. Uh-huh.